Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. So the first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 1 to 14. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And the second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble 
and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, friends, uh, please uh, keep open in front of you or turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which is where we are at. We're at week three of our series in the book of Deuteronomy, Now Choose Life, um, as we uh, work through what is this wonderful book of the Old Testament. I should have said just a bit earlier, happy Father's Day uh, as well to all those who have father or are a father or are remembering their father today. It's just on my mind and sort of heart this morning, uh, again on these particular days, Romans 12 verse 15, that in light of the mercy of God, uh, we are to be people, if we know the mercy of God, we are to be people who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So today is a, a mixed bag for many of us where we on this day rejoice in thankfulness for the way God provided us with a good father um, whom we can give great thanks for. For others, it's a, a mixed day, either missing a dad whom they loved dearly um, and or um, had a less than great experience of a father as well. And uh, particularly on my heart today, just in terms of just the way our world feels a bit dislocated today given COVID-19 and coronavirus and how many people aren't able to be physically with their dads. Um, that's on my heart as well, um, the, the reality of separation. Uh, but with all that in mind, let's, let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great truths that we've sung this morning. And even the, the great things we've reflected on, even as we you know, dedicated Willow, Father, this morning, we thank you for those times, indeed, when you speak to us a word in season, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would, this morning, fill and rule our hearts, so that as we listen to your word now, that this would be a time that pleases you and helps us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open up, yeah, Deuteronomy and, and maybe turn to chapter one. Um, Deuteronomy is a great book. I've been saying that almost as I've opened up every message so far. It's a great book. It's a great book of hope, actually, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which I think makes it a really important book for the times in which we live. It's the fifth book of the Bible and it's Moses preaching around 1300 years before Christ and he's preaching to God's people about God's amazing faithfulness in the past and his promises for the future. They're on the edge of the promised land. They're about to walk in. Now we're not able to change the past. Thankfully God is able to change the past, even heal the past. We're not able to control the future, but God is able to control the future. And what we are given as human beings is to live in the present. So tomorrow your alarm will go off and in front of you will be Monday. 
and it's the day the devil will seek to ruin. And it's a day the Lord in his goodness gives you for great blessing. Somebody told me years ago, it's the devil's job, given that he can't control the past or can't control the future, his job is to simply ruin today. That's his job. And it's in the mercy and kindness of God that he helps us live a day of blessing and usefulness. So as we come to Deuteronomy and consider this morning afresh God's faithfulness, past, present and future, I've got three headings for you as we work through today's message. Three headings. Firstly, the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. Second heading, God is truthful. And the third heading, God is merciful. God is faithful. God is truthful. God is merciful. That's how we're going to navigate this next section of Deuteronomy. And so let's start with God is faithful. Again, we're in the fifth book of the Bible. Uh, We've said goodbye to Adam and Eve. We've said goodbye to Noah. We've said goodbye to Abraham. God's people have multiplied. They've gone down into Egypt. They've become slaves in Egypt. God has brought them out of slavery under Pharaoh through the leadership of Moses. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've come to Mount Sinai. In other words, they are a rescued people. They're rescued people. And then they're disobedient. And the Lord decides that they'll walk around and around and around in the wilderness for 40 years. They've wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and now they stand, this new generation of God's people, on the edge of the promised land. And at this point, Moses recaps the journey they've taken so far. Scholars say that Deuteronomy is three sermons of Moses. Some people believe it's just one long sermon. I think it is three sermons. Moses, getting a little bit older, needed to sit down for a minute in between, so it's a bit broken up. Anyway, in this sermon, he talks about how gracious God has been. So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31. He says, there you saw how the Lord God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. I remember um, several months ago uh, when Willow was born, um, I remember seeing Big Tom minus the black eye, um, but I saw you know, Big Tom Colwell walking in, nursing this little babe a little child, nursing her gladly and lovingly and gently and safely. And Moses says to the people of Israel, this is what God has done for you. He's carried you through the wilderness for 40 years. He's provided for hundreds of thousands of people through the wilderness. But the people refused to trust him. Verse 32 In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. This is God. Verse 33, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. I was was greatly blessed this week reading verse 33. What an amazing thing that the God of the universe would go before his people search out places for them to camp and show them the way that they should go. 
Not only did God provide, God also protected and he helped them with his enemies. I'll look at chapter 2, verse 31, flick forward. In chapter 2, verse 31, we read about the people of God, how they won a great victory over a group of people called the Amorites. You don't need to remember that, right? They were a very hostile group of people whom God allowed them to win a great victory over. Turn forward a little bit more, chapter three, verse three. They won a great victory over a group called the Heshbonites. Say that with me, Heshbonites. You don't even need to remember that one either. But God enabled his people to win victories in their travels against really hostile nations. Now what's so interesting about this is not only is the Lord teaching his people that he provides for them, that he protects them, But before they even get into the promised land, he's actually giving land to them already. So look at chapter 3, verse 21. You have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a great principle to remember for the Christian life. And here it is. We have to remember the past, what God has done, in order to face the future with hope. Let me say that again. We we need to remember what God has done in the past in order to face the future with hope. We often get nervous about the future. I get nervous about the future. And we need to look to the past for hope. Let me give you an example of this from Psalm 77. Psalm 77 says this, I cried out to God for help when I was in distress. And then the psalmist says, his unfail- has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? It's possible, isn't it, to get that low? where you wonder whether the love of God has vanished and if the promises of God have failed. And then he says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. I will deliberately remember, Lord, what you've done because then he finished the psalm by singing Chris Tomlin's great song, How Great Is Our God. No, he didn't actually finish by singing that. How great is our... No, he didn't sing that. But he, he, was, he wondered where God had gone. But then he remembered the deeds and the works of God and he was caused to sing How Great Is Our God. The past words and deeds of God help you look forward knowing what he is like. Oh, oh, you jump into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I will. How are we going to do that safely? How are we going to do that joyfully? Well, we need to look backwards. We need to look back because we read in 2 Corinthians 5 that back at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who had no sin, became sin for us. And so we look back to what God did and we praise God for that. And now we can look forward to meeting him safely and joyfully, forgiven without blemish, great joy. 
Every time I sing a song that points me to that moment when I will get to see Jesus, I can only sing that with joyful tears in my eyes because of what God has done for me in the past. So here is Moses teaching the people of Israel that God has provided for them, he's protected them, he hasn't kept them from all their trials, notice, but he has brought them through their trials. And he is a God who will stay the same. And this is the way we're meant to measure all things. Let me give you some examples of how we're to measure things properly in this life. Here's a question. Did God make it into the promised land? Did God make it into the promised land? I'll give you five seconds to turn to the person next to you and answer that question. Go. Five seconds. Did, God make, did Moses make it into the promised land? Go. Moses, Moses. Did Moses make it into the promised land? Three, two, one. Time's up. Did Moses make it into the promised land? No, no. We read in chapter 3, verse 25 of Deuteronomy, right? He wanted to go into the promised land, right? He begged to go into the promised land. But it was not God's plan that he would go in. Did Moses miss out on a great deal? No. I mean, the promised land was nice. It's nice dirt. And Moses didn't lose his salvation, for we know that when Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was there, he saw Moses alive and well. It wasn't God's plan for Moses to enter the promised land, but of course he did end up in the final promised land. Another way to measure things properly and well. I was, I was at a quiz night on Wednesday night. I feel like this week for me has been a quiz night week. Went to one on Wednesday, went to one on Friday. Did miserably at both. But anyway, um, I was at a quiz night um, with some mates uh, from a former primary school that I had something to do with um, in a place in Stepney. And one of the guys just, you know, I was, you know, I was absolutely hopeless that night actually, by the way. I feel like I should need to confess this. Um, one of the questions was, you know the, the song, the wheels on the bus go round and round, right? Then someone said, the wipers on the bus go, swish, swish, swish. And you had to answer that. Like, what goes swish, swish, swish? And I said, I know that one. It's the wipers. And they go, thanks, Jacko. That was my only contribution for the night. Anyway, um, one of the guys, though, while we were at this quiz night, asked me, knowing that I'm, you know, like I work in the church and things like that, he, he said to me, am I optimistic about the future of the church? And I'm like, I didn't come to a quiz night to talk about, no. <laughs> I said, well, actually, you, know, you could go around different, you could go to particular churches, right, even in our city, and you could look at the whole thing and go, this thing's dying. There's no life here. But you could go to other churches around our city and you could get the impression that God is wonderfully at work still. And this mixed bag of where the church is at. I think the answer, though, that I tried to paint was that we're meant to be realistic and optimistic at the same time. We're meant to say that the Lord Jesus Christ has and is building his church. It may be that we are not going to be very successful in this city. But Jesus will build his church one way or another, and therefore we can trust him. I'll give you one more example of how we're to measure things as God measures things. Um, this is a man named William Borden, uh, coming up on the screen. There you go, it's William Borden. Um, 
He you probably never heard of him, by the way. He was born about 120 years ago. He was converted as a boy and then grew up to be something of a spiritual giant. Um, in 1903, at the age of 16, he graduated from school. His parents, as far as I know, were absolutely filthy rich, like loaded. And so they said, you've graduated from school, let's send you on a world tour. How cool would that be? So he went on this world tour. You know what struck him most on his world tour? Was not so much the amazing cities and sights that he saw. What struck him most was the spiritual darkness and lack of faith in the Lord Jesus that he saw so much around the place. He was gripped by it. And so he went back to the US, he studied, he did really well. He was a great athlete, right? He was a wealthy, good-looking, intelligent, sporty fella who wanted to go on the mission field. After study, he then did some study in theology. Then he went to Cairo in Egypt to study Arabic in the hope of reaching Muslim people in China. That was his hope. Whilst in Cairo, he contracted cerebral meningitis and he died at 25, having left a massive impact on pretty much everyone he bumped into. He died, his Bible actually came home. And in the front of his Bible, he'd written these famous words, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. No reserve meaning, do not hold back anything in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him everything you have. No retreat, don't turn back from following the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, no regret. He wrote no regret actually while he was on his sickbed. He wrote it because he didn't want anyone to think that he was disappointed in what had happened to him because God had blessed him with eternal life and took him home a bit more quickly than he expected into his presence. God, you see, is faithful and we need to look back to his deeds and his words so that we can look forward filled with hope and expectation and confidence. God is faithful. Secondly, God is truthful. And this has everything to do with God's word um, as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter four. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter four. Um, when I was at theological college, when I was a fairly young Christian, um, I remember the principal and many of the lecturers at Moore College talking all the time about the centrality of the word of God, the centrality of the word of God, the centrality of the word of God, it's everything. I was a young and fairly immature Christian and I was thinking, come on. There's heaps more to the Christian life, right, than just the Word of God. You know, what about friendliness and fun and experiencing the Spirit? You know, the Word of God just seemed like a little bit of a dry kind of subject. See, the longer I've gone on, though, as a Christian, I've seen the wisdom of the principal and the lecturers. Because in the end, the Word of God tells us what God and who He is like. And what God is like, in your opinion or my opinion, is most profitably shaped by the word of God. And if you don't have the word of God, your view of God will be distorted. And so Moses, in chapter four, addressing the people of Israel, begins Deuteronomy four, verse one. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them. Listen to God and do what he says. 
Because he didn't in the past, said Moses. A whole lot of people have died in the wilderness because they didn't listen to God. But Moses says, I want you to listen, especially as you head off into the promised land. So you see God, you see that God is giving them the promised land. It's a gift, but verse one, they must take it. Just like we say to people, right? Salvation is a gift, you must take it. See, the world as we know, right, the world works on like what I will call a trophy system. That you get things, you get trophies for your greatness and for all your hard work, and there's something to be said for that. And even world religions work on a trophy system that you must work your way up to something or to someone. But the Bible works on the gift principle that God holds out his salvation as a gift and therefore the key to salvation is grace. It comes to you as a gift. Will you take it? Its usefulness, though, will depend on listening to God's word. And he says in verse 2, don't subtract. Don't add to God's word. Don't be the sort of person in church who says, I don't like that bit, so I'm going to remove that from my Bible. You'll become a great nuisance in church if you do that. And don't add to the Bible. Don't think that there is something other people should be doing or should be knowing that the Bible doesn't actually say. Remember Jesus' greatest troubles, right, when he was on earth, came from the Sadducees who subtracted from the word of God and the Pharisees who added to the word of God. And there are always Pharisees and Sadducees who enter churches. But Moses says in Revelation 22, right at the end of the Bible says the same thing. Don't add, don't subtract. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse six, when you live by God's word, says Moses, you'll have a great and big impact on the peoples, the nations around you. You'll get into the promised land, you'll put the word of God into practice and you'll have an impact. Have a look at verse five, chapter four. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Verse six, observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? In other words, Moses says, when you get into the promised land, live out this word of God and the nations around you will sit up and take notice because God will bless you as a nation and people will see that the word of God is sensible. So we must remember, as we seek to live as Christian people, there's something bigger going on than simply being blessed and happy and safe and secure as followers of Jesus. That is, we're to take the word of God and trust the word of God and obey the word of God and live as God's people because we're a people who are on mission, a people of witness who in how we live, we display the beauty and the truth and the relevance of the Lord Jesus. Peter says exactly the same thing in 1 Peter 2, the second reading that Nicole brought. He says, you're a chosen people. Huh, how wonderful. How extraordinary. You're a chosen people of all the people in the world. You are chosen. God has shown his favor and grace upon you and shown you mercy. Why? 
in order that you would declare his praises. By the way, I don't think the world is really ever going to notice what's going on at City Light Church, North Adelaide, simply by living in the streets around North Adelaide. I don't think my neighbours in my street are going to work out that Jesus is great simply by looking at me as I prune my roses out the front. I don't think not yet Christian people are going to work out the value of Jesus from a distance. I mean, they might hear that you go to church and turn up and all that, but people are going to hear about Jesus close up in relationship with us. It's going to be when you live among people in a, in a different way, where you're kind and helpful, where we, people come here and they hear the word of God, but they see a group of people who are amazingly compassionate and radically generous. This is what Moses is saying. The word of God is so important as you go into the promised land. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Put it into practice. It'll be a witness among the nations. And look at verse 9. And teach the next generation. Teach your children who will then teach their children. Because what God did, bringing you out of Egypt bringing you through the Red Sea. Some of you, Moses says, some of you saw that when you were little kids, but the majority of you, you didn't see that. You'll need to, be, you'll need to tell people about that. They'll only get to hear it from you. They won't see it. It's a really important part of the Christian life is that we ought to be people who hear the word of God, but we don't always see the works of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. Remember Thomas following reports of the Lord Jesus Christ alive and well after being crucified on a Roman cross. He said he wouldn't believe until he saw the wounds in Jesus' hands and the spear mark up his side. And Jesus comes to Thomas and gently rebukes him saying, Thomas, you didn't need to see the hands, the nail marks in my hands or the spear up my side to witness that I was alive. If you'd listened, you would have had enough information to believe. And then Jesus says, right, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It's how it is today. We didn't see Jesus heal the lepers. We didn't see the lifelong lame leaping for joy. We didn't see dead people raised to life. But we have been told by those who did see it. And that is enough for us to believe and to be saved. And how special it is to tell children the good news of Jesus and to see them come to understand and believe. It's a big part of why we as a church gave Tom and Maggie a copy of the Bible or a kid's version of the Bible today. That they would read that to Willow and she would come by God's grace to know and love the Lord Jesus. You know, I've only ever had one vision in my Christian life. Um, I've never heard the audible voice of God kind of like booming from the sky or even a quiet voice. I've never had that. I have no doubt that God does work through visions and audible words like that to people who don't kind of have the Bible handy to them. But in the end, I walk by the promises of God in his word. 
And so must we all trust those promises as God has spoken to us. This is God who is truthful. And then you'll see chapter 4, verse 12 to 28, there's this long section where Moses explains to God's people the word of God, how it is sufficient, and how it will protect them from idolatry. Because if you don't listen to the word of God, we'll end up making God into something that we want him to be. That's what happens when we don't listen to who God has revealed himself to be. We create him in our own kind of impression and image. Um, If you've ever been to our church office, um, you'll know that on my desk I've got like a million books. There's hardly any place to put my laptop, you know, kind of thing. Like I've just got lots of books. And I had to kind of clear out some of these books, right? And I was going through my drawers where there are kind of more books like spilling out of the drawers and things like that. And I've got all these like little trinkets and things like that. So a new habit I've formed is to go to the central market on Friday with my son Fletcher. He's four. And he always wants to go to the toy shop. And I'm like, no, let's not go to the toy shop. Then I love it. I love going to the toy shop. Um, he comes out with one thing. I come out with like six, like all these stupid little knickknacks. Anyway, so I've got all these like trinkets and stuff. Anyway, I was in my drawer and I found an old radio, right, in my drawer. Um, anyone know what a radio is? Everyone's cool with that? Yep. Um, I found this old radio, right? And I'm like, wow, this is, this, is, this is in good shape. This is really nice. It was almost in its box still, and it said two band, whatever that means. I don't know. But um, And uh, anyway, I thought, I'm just going to give it away. No one took it. No one wants the, the radio. Put it out in the nature strip. It's now dead because it's been rained on. No. Um, I'm convinced that a lot more people listen to the radio, right? A lot of people listen to the radio when they drive. DJs get paid a lot of money to DJ on the radio. Someone has got to be listening beyond myself. But in the end, right, the radio, the Bible actually, is much more like the radio than it is like the TV or a laptop that streams and things like that. Because when we listen to the radio, right, you don't see the speaker. I'm told that the radio is actually much more personal a medium than TV because pictures can be kind of misleading, whereas the radio requires careful listening because as you listen, things are being interpreted. And you see, the Bible interprets for us so that we don't make mistakes. And you'll see in chapter 4, verse 12, Moses says that when the Lord spoke to you at Mount Sinai and all the adults were standing there, they've all died in the wilderness, by the way. He's now addressing the next generation. He says, you didn't see God. You just heard his voice. And again, verse 15 You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. If you were at Mount Sinai, you wouldn't have seen God. His voice spoke, but there was no form to see. Now, why is Moses making such a big deal of this? Well, partly because if you saw God's glory, you would die. We're told that we cannot see God's glory and live. But bigger than, I mean, not bigger than that, but the issue here is, see verse 16, that if we saw God, we'd fall into idolatry. So God spoke to his people, he said what needed to be said, and told his people that he, who he was, and he did it with great clarity. And he did it to prevent his people from inventing him or producing a a form of God that they would then bow down and kind of worship. And that, of course, would be insulting to him and really dangerous to them. 
Now, this is really important, right? Stay with me if you can. Because we are natural idolaters. Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories. That's what we're like. And we also pick and choose what parts of God we like and what parts of God we don't like, what suit our preferences. And yeah, I don't know, you hear people say, you know, this is how I imagine God to be. And some end up with, I don't know, God is like a little puppy, you know, kind of cute and harmless and ultimately totally helpless. Others, though, paint a terrifying picture of God, like, a, I don't know, like a beast in the sky. And this horrendously affects and terrifies people. See, the God, if, if the God whom you worship is like a puppy or a pushover, then you'll end up in, like, into, you fall into indulgence really quickly. But if he's a monster, you'll fall into guilt and shame and terror quickly. This is why we need the Bible. This is why we need God's word and why God deserves the word of God. You know, I don't think it's an accident that as the world has lost touch with the Bible and much of the church has lost touch with the Bible, that we are at the same time utterly ignorant of how great God is. I mean, people have no, people who have no uh, knowledge of the Bible have generally got a completely irrelevant view of God. And that's impossible if you take the Bible seriously. And there are people in the church who have a pretty irrelevant view of God as well. And that's equally possible if you don't take the Bible seriously. I mean, many of us, right? We don't like to be, we don't like people to be misinformed about who we are. You don't like it, right, if half-truths are told about you. You don't like it if rumours are spread around and they shape who people think you are. I don't know if you've noticed this as well, how people who seem really difficult to get along with, I'm not looking at anyone right now in our church, but you know, people who you find really difficult to get along with, once you actually get to know them and listen to who they are, are actually quite wonderful. And so it is with God. He expects to be treated as he is. In fact, we're told in chapter 4, verse 27, that God is jealous for his people. He will not share you with a false God. That's why he keeps working on you so that false gods don't stick to you. Have you noticed, right, that if God is your father and if Jesus is your saviour, he just won't let you settle down in evil and error. He keeps frustrating things. And you know why he does that? He does that because he loves you. And when we set up idols, whether you know, people or habits or goals, and they're not God himself, God is dishonoured and we are diminished. But when we give ourselves to him, he is honoured and we are enhanced. God is faithful. God is truthful. Lastly, God is merciful. God is merciful. Um, there's a, a really good book that came out a couple of years ago. Um, 
and I wouldn't recommend this to anyone who's really under the age of 18, so I'm not going to recommend it to Willow uh, to read for a little while. Uh, the book is called The Madness of Crowds. Anyone read The Madness of Crowds by a guy named Douglas Murray? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing book. He's, Douglas Murray is a brilliant man. Um, he's not a Christian. He's a bit of a genius, though. Um, he says that there are things in our culture, right, at the moment that are being kind of rammed at us like all the time. Um, things to do with politics or race or gender. Stuff is just being rammed at us, um, battering into us, right? And as a result of that, like so many of us are, are confused and sometimes caught off guard and we're not really sure if we should be guilty of these issues or things like that. But he says this. This is an amazing quote. He says, forgiveness includes the ability to forget. But the internet will never forget. Everything comes up afresh. And so he says in this book that what we're missing today is the promises that bind people together and the forgiveness that keeps people together. And when I read through this book, right, I thought, how interesting that a not yet Christian has put his finger on the vacuum of the culture which pushes, pushes Jesus Christ well and truly out of the way, the one who brings forgiveness and brings the promises, and then wonders why we live in a world where there are no promises and no forgiveness. Well, we rejoice, don't we, in the promises of Jesus and we rejoice in the forgiveness of Jesus. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. Moses says, When you've drifted into idolatry, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. When you're in distress and these things have happened to you, you'll return to the Lord. Verse 31 For the Lord your God, listen, is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Isn't that a lovely thing to say? Moses says, you're going into the promised land. I'm dying. I'm begging you to listen to God and obey him. He is faithful. He is truthful. But when you fail, and Moses may well have said, and you will fail, remember that he is merciful. He won't abandon you. He won't destroy you. He won't walk away from you. He won't forget you. How do we know that God is merciful? He's revealed himself as merciful. Some years before this, when the Israelites had made a golden calf and bowed down before it, God rightly got angry with his people. Moses went to the Lord and said, what are we going to do? And God said, come up the mountain and I'll reveal my glory to you. Moses went up and this is what the glory of God sounded like. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we're told at that point, Moses, upon hearing the glory of God, bowed down his head towards the earth and worshipped. Because there was the secret of a guilty, sinful people, a merciful God. And God, of course, has paid for this mercy. Titus 3 God saved us because of his mercy shown to us through Jesus. No wonder Moses says to the people of God, you don't get another God like this. There is no other God like this. Verse 34. 
You don't get another God anywhere like this. He's created you. He's called you. He's carried you. He's provided for you. He's protected you. He fights for you. He's faithful. He's trustful. And when you fail, he forgives. You won't get another God like this. That's the first sermon done in Deuteronomy. Moses reminding the chosen people of Israel that God is faithful, truthful, and merciful. I'll close with this. A few years ago, I had the privilege of teaching the book of Deuteronomy at a conference in India, um, down south in a place called Salem. Um, And there were about 3,000 pastors at this particular conference. Um, it was awesome. Um, I'd give some, a talk in the morning on Deuteronomy and then in the afternoon I'd go down uh, to another space where um, all the you know, youth group leaders and children's ministry leaders were and I would give the same talk that I gave in the morning to them so then they could give the talk that I gave to their kids, right? Um, and you're going, how on earth do you teach the book of Deuteronomy to like youth group and then little ones, right? Um, and so I was really keen, like how are we gonna like get little heads and little hearts around the wonderful book of the, you know, Deuteronomy? And so we came up with a four letter anacronym, right? Um, or acronym, sorry, MICE, there it is, M-I-C-E. And I'm saying this to those of us here this morning who have simple minds, right? Like the person you're looking at, the preacher. Um, it stands for this, M, um, Moses preached it. Like we're talking about the book of Deuteronomy, right? Moses preached it. I, Israel, failed it. C, Christ did it. E, every believer in Jesus is safe. There you go. Moses preached the book of Deuteronomy. Israel failed to do the book of Deuteronomy. Christ did the book of Deuteronomy. Every believer in Jesus is safe. All the threads of the book of Deuteronomy point to Jesus. If you want to find someone who is faithful, look to Jesus. If you want to find someone truthful, look to Jesus. If you want to find someone merciful, you'll find it in Jesus. And that's why we, with Peter, recorded in John 6, can say, where else have we to go? For you, Lord Jesus, alone have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for revealing yourself as you are, faithful, truthful, merciful. We thank you for the gift of your son, faithful shepherd, truthful prophet, merciful saviour. Father, by your spirit, equip us, empower us, enable us to trust the Lord Jesus all of our days. Uh, knowing your faithfulness in the past, your faithfulness today means that you'll be faithful in the future. 
So help us, Lord, to step out of here today knowing your goodness. Help us to, when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, as whatever comes our way, we would know based on what you've done for us in the past and what you will pull off in the future, we can totally trust you. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.